welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Devril Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on, and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Hello and welcome to DevCast, Devril Smith's audio series which holds exclusive and thought-provoking interviews with professionals from the property industry. I'm Joseph Morris, Principal Consulting within the Accounting and Finance Division at Devril Smith, and today I'll be joined by Managing Director of Regional Residential Property Developer at Antler Homes, Andrew Rinaldi. Andrew is a well-respected figure within the residential property development sector. He has previously worked for the likes of Taylor Wimpy prior to Antler Homes, who specialised in developments in the south of England. He has experience of working in the UK as well as the US across the pond, and we're delighted to have him here today. So, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing very well, Joseph. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, it's really weird times for us to be doing this meeting the, the day before lockdown. So I'm honoured. I'm sure that by the time this comes out, um, everybody will be locked away in their homes, eager to listen to whatever they can get their hands on in terms of new materials. So, um, thank you again for coming down and um, I just wanted to find out a little bit more about yourself really and what your background is where you sort of came from and prior to Adler Homes what, what's your what's your story yeah I mean I, I don't know if you've talked about this before Joseph but um, I trained as a chartered accountant back in Australia way way back in the day and then worked in Australia Micronesia and the US both in chartered accounting and um, later investment banking um, was working in mergers and acquisitions and then was hired by Taylor Wimpy uh, to basically to work for the, the CEO as corporate development director. But my main initial role was to sell the North American business, um, which was in the US and Canada, um, and then subsequently moved into a variety of operating roles, which is really what's taken me down the path um, that I'm in now. Um, I was I was really thrilled at the opportunity to work in roles, including a land director in, in the West Country. As you mentioned to me before, in central London, I was running uh, technical and production um, and then later in, in the West London slash Hampshire business, uh, had a variety of roles there as well, including operations director. Great. I suppose it's really useful as an MD to have seen it from yeah. all sides of, of the business um, and sat in their shoes. So you can speak from experience rather than just, yeah. I suppose, hoping for the best. Um, and what drew you to Antler? What, what drew you from Taylor Wimpy to Antler um, and particularly out into the regions? Yeah, I mean... Myself and my business partner looked at um, Antler as as a really good opportunity to get into the SME market, which we see as a, a real critical component of the UK house building landscape. Um, and we see we saw and see Antler as you know basically a brilliant business. It's it's almost fifty years old. It's got you know beautiful design, a, a great heritage, um, a, you know everything we'd want in a business. Um, unfortunately, over probably the five years preceding us, it was virtually being wound down. And so so we saw this as an opportunity to, to, to reinvigorate, to come in with, with new investment, new people, and, and reinvigorate the business. Um, in terms of the location, um, I'd love to say we were so clever that we saw what's uh, what's happened this year. But but in, in reality, um, you know, having worked a lot both in, the, in, in, the, in our current patch, but also in central 
central London. Um, as much as I love central London, I do I did see that as a bit of a challenging market. Um, you know, going back sort of two to three years ago, it just seemed like it had become massively overheated, um, and I saw this as a more natural fit for us. Um, and then obviously, COVID, while it's not had too many positive things, it's the one one of the positives as it has been uh, good for our market. So yes, I you know basically I felt the business was an excellent business, and the regions that they were operating in I thought were really healthy, healthy regions, and, and had good growth potential. So we've we're, our focus generally is on family housing uh, within an hour of London. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. Uh, um, as, as you mentioned, the central market, central other market, and, and the regions market is so different uh, and, and almost two different worlds in a way. You mentioned about the sort of heritage that the Homes had over the last sort of 50 years. What have you sort of changed within the business, particularly over the last few years, to sort of get it out of the sort of slump it was in and get it to where it is now? And, and what have you tried to retain from that yep. previous business? Um, in terms of what have we done to try and sort of reinvigorate the business, um, again, the gentleman we bought it from was basically looking at retirement. And so, and also he'd, he'd moved to Jersey and has other business interests. So this wasn't really something he was all that focused. Well, I shouldn't say that. He was less focused on it than we are. Um, and I think he was more thinking about, you know, an exit. Um, so in terms of investing in the business and growing the business, that was not his priority. Whereas for us, you know, we, we, we've come in and, and our success will be based on what we can build the business to. Um, so, so as I said earlier, we put new investment financially into the business. We've made significant changes to the team, um, and we've made significant investments on the land side. So we, we inherited a business with with very little pipeline, and we've now built up a very strong pipeline. Um, so those are the main things we've done to change the business. And 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 I, and I must say. Um, that's an ongoing process. You know, there, there's always things we can do to improve the business, and we've only just got started and got a long way to go. Um, in terms of what don't we want to change, it's got the business has a fabulous brand, it has fabulous product, and has fabulous heritage. Um, so clearly, preserving the brand is critical. Preserving the quality is critical. Um, and preserving the design-led nature of the business. And, and I would say that's something we haven't done enough with over the last two years. And it's something as we go into the next few years, I want to spend a bit more time on the design. What we have done over the last few years is identify what are the real key elements that make an antler home different and made sure that those are not something that we can change you know that, that, that those will be preserved and, and, and preserve all the things that makes an Adler home special yeah and I think that it's even more important now um, than ever to differentiate yourselves from others in the market what, what would you say the sort of unique selling points are from and have homes to other developers that you would consider your competitors in in the in your region. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it always depends every who the, which competitor we're talking yeah. about. But look, we we like to pitch ourselves as being about a anywhere between a ten and twenty percent fit premium to national house builders. So differentiating with a national house builder is, is very easy. Um, you know, we we are, we are we are smaller. You know more design-led, more bespoke, more attractive homes. Um, in terms of some of the peers that are more like us, because there's, there's, there's several that who we hold in very high esteem that are, again, doing a lot of the same things we're doing, um, I think 
for us, it's really about, I guess, the growth trajectory we're on. So a lot of those peers, while they are growing, um, they're probably not growing as aggressively as us. Um, and it's also, I think we have the ability to uh, operationally make more changes and be a little bit more nimble, perhaps, than some of the more uh, competitors who are, have been at it for longer than us as a new team. Yeah, uh, and speaking of changes, obviously we're in a unprecedented time with with COVID, and um, as you said, it's impacted uh, different businesses in different ways. But we're obviously about to go into our second lockdown. How, how did you deal with the sort of challenges of the first lockdown? How much did it impact the business, the operational side of things? Did you have to close your sites? What 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 was the sort of situation going into that? Yeah, the first time, as with everyone, it was very much an unknown. You know where what. What did it mean? What, you know, how do we react to it? Um, so as a business, you know, we obviously closed our office, closed our uh, sales offices day one. When I say closed our office, we everyone was working from home. There was an ability to go in as and when, but people weren't uh, working from the office every day. Um, and then on site, we, uh, after great deliberation and consultation with our health and safety advisors, we kept our sites open. Um, I think quite a few of our SME peers did the same. I'd probably say more did than not in, in, in our region. Obviously, the larger guys tended to shut down. Um, we, we dramatically reduced numbers on site. So we were our sites probably had about 30 or 40 people on them. We reduced them to single digits day, day one um, and then spent the first couple of weeks just figuring out what other changes we had to make in terms of, you know, welfare, hygiene, you know, distancing, um, et cetera, et cetera. And once we got those in place and got them signed off by an external health and safety advisor, um, we then started to build site numbers up. Um, and then I guess it's somewhat similar in the office. Again, we closed it immediately, uh, then figured out what we needed to do. You know, same thing everybody's been doing um, in terms of rearranging the, the desk layout, you know, uh, upping the hygiene um, and, and limiting the numbers to the office. So, you know, within a fairly short period, we started encouraging people to come back, uh, not, not uh, all at once and, and not every day. Um, and we had this sort of mixture of people uh, working mostly from home but a couple of days in the office and then I think the other thing I must mention and it seems to be something I'm hearing from a lot of people um, as the threat of lockdown came we developed a lot of good plans including plans to test our IT um, and then lockdown happened quicker than we thought and none of that actually ever got used um, and then remarkably our IT held up really really well which I think a lot of people have said and uh, you know how that worked I don't know but it was it was wonderful that that in all these tough times you know it, the ability to work from home was actually a lot easier than we thought um, yeah I think everybody was sort of pushed into a corner yeah. and um, I think it was I think everybody sort of came out fighting and yeah. you're right the IT for, for the large proportion of people that seemed to work well to, seemed to work yeah. a lot better than everybody was expecting and uh, I don't think many people had really used Teams and Zoom so much before no. uh, the first lockdown and now it's part of our normal every day lives and uh, rely on it all the time and in terms of that kind of flexibility to work from home did you find the teams were were just as efficient working from home as they would normally be in the office and is that something you see as an opportunity going forward post covid and post this crazy time of ours do you think that's something you'll implement long term Uh, i think it's very difficult to say that 
teams are as efficient working from home as they are in the office in a business like ours that's very very collaborative and I suspect most businesses are too um, so I don't think I think no I think we have lost a little bit of efficiency I think a lot of people have found themselves working harder to make up for that. Um, I think what we found was optimal or close to optimal um, if we dial back about three months ago when people started working from the office two or three days a week and they were getting the ability to get much of the collaboration they needed um, done and then a couple of days to catch up on things at home. And I think they also really appreciated it. It was a nice balance. They enjoyed being in the office, da-da-da-da-da. So I think that worked really well for us. In terms of going forward, I hate to sit on the fence, but there is an element of just seeing how all this plays out. Um, I think in my heart of hearts, I see a lot of good things that have come out of COVID. Um, Obviously, fewer than the negatives, but but there are positives because we were all forced to think in a different way. Yeah. And I think some of the, we, we've got to figure out, you know, which are the bits of of um, how we work that we want to retain. And you know, I, th- I think we hadn't done a lot of working from home. I, I've always encouraged people that look, if you're driving to a site that's an hour away from the office, don't come back to the office for you know, an hour in the evening to then drive home again in rush hour. You know, that makes no sense. So that, that's probably as little working from home as we did just in terms of making fewer journeys. But I think now that we've proven that the IT works, we've proven that while, again, it's a little less efficient, um, it's not that much. You know, I, I think there's scope for an element of working from home. So I think in some ways one of the advantages of COVID is it's forced people like me to perhaps accelerate some of the things we're already thinking of doing because we've, we've been thrust into the, the water, we've tried it, it's worked. And so again, you know, for me, working from home was something was always on the agenda, but it was probably one of those, I'll get to that later things. Now we've been there, done that, and it, it has worked. So Absolutely. I think it's, uh, it's certainly given us all an eye-opening experience into how we can work uh, and, and efficiency and what works and what doesn't work, um, whether that be positive or a negative way. Um, so we actually hosted a, a webinar um, recently with the Bank of England and Knight Frank, and one of the key talking points was the sort of growth opportunities for regional developers coming out of COVID. Um, and we saw a lot of data talking about the increased demand in terms of property outside of London versus London. Um, and that increase was, was quite significant. Um, do you expect that to be a trend that would continue over the sort of coming years and beyond COVID and, and as, as an established player in the sort of southern counties? Uh, I mean, will your strategy remain the same or, or are you kind of adapting that? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, as I alluded to earlier, this has played to our strengths. It's, yeah. you know, it's hit our sweet spot. So it's basically said to people, you don't need to be in the office as often as possible. You know, you can probably do a slightly longer commute um, and, and that's going to work for you. I also think it's forced, uh, not forced, but encouraged people to reprioritize. And I think a lot of people have said, you know what, maybe I don't need to live in a, in a two-bedroom flat in, in central London um, and, and when I can, for the same money, live you know, in a you know, three- or four-bedroom house in a nice sort of leafy area, you know, but still an hour's commute from London. So, so that means you know, actually it all works. So, so yes, it's, it, it's, it's played to, to our strengths, which is great. And then I think the other thing it's, it's done is it has made everybody um, 
rethink what their home looks like. You know, the home working space, etc., is so much more necessary. So, so for us, um, we've got to be thinking: how do we design our homes to give customers what they want? You know, we can't rely on what we've been doing. You know, over the past ten years, for example, it's got to be: you know, what does a customer want now? You know, because it is different. I think. Really interesting. So, you're suggesting there might be sort of an element of you building the houses and designing them specifically so people have that opportunity to work from home and perhaps more office space within their yeah, home. Yeah, I'd, I'd use the term flexible space yeah. so that they can they, they can make the choice as to what they want to do with it. But, um, yeah. Well, look, it's, as I said, it's, it's caused a lot of changes across the, the whole industry. Absolutely. And I think that yeah. um, some of them will, be, will certainly be for the better. Um, so, and as you said, it's also nice to speak to somebody who's seen some sort of positives come out of COVID because, look, we read a lot and uh, watch a lot. It all yeah. sounds quite. Yeah, I wouldn't disastrous. say it's, you know, it's, not, it's not like it's a bed of roses, but we yeah. have been fortunate enough that actually our market position and our, our, our target sort of market actually has been served well by this. Like everybody else, we've had delays and various other negatives that come out of COVID. Um, I think the other one that I would speak to is it's it's free. I think it's possibly freed up land supply a little bit, or not the supply perhaps, made it slightly less competitive and we've had a bit more luck uh, on the land market than we were having pre-COVID. So that's, um, I would say, a a short-lived perhaps benefit, but it certainly helped us in terms of bolstering our pipeline. Uh, and on your sort of strategy, when it when it comes to the sort of sales side, do you have your own on-site staff that you have, or do you have agency instructed it, or is it a combination of both? What what do you see the sort of pros and cons of, yep. of each method to be? So, so we use um, agents on site. Um, we have a sales team from the office, and we we manage the the agents, um, independent agents on our site. Um, in terms of pros and cons, if we start with pros. Um, because our sites are in quite um, spread out, it's a very local agent that we will hire, and hence they'll be, you know, very sharp on on what's going on in the local market. Um, again, it's their it's their bread and butter, it's their day job. You know, they're generally you know well qualified uh, to do that, um, and I think it's very helpful to us from a wider business to have good relationships with local agents. So that that helps um, develop that. And then in terms of cons, I think the only one is even though they're contractually working for you, (laughs) they're not on your payroll. And that obviously means sometimes you don't have the ability perhaps to uh, affect changes and and influence as much as you might have with your own staff. Um, And I guess one other pro that I forgot is is it does enable you to be a bit more nimble if you don't have as many people on payroll, but instead you can get exactly what you want in terms of exactly what the site dictates, um, which is a bit easier to do from a wide pool of agencies rather than just from an internal team. It's really interesting because, as I said, different companies take completely different approaches. Um, And I can certainly see the value in in having those sort of agencies instructed. Um, But as you said, there's that sort of fallback of not necessarily having as much control or influence as as you would do with your own staff. And and you mentioned sort of the changes from sort of a wider business perspective. Something that that keeps coming up as a discussion point from our side is sort of sustainability, Mm. environmental impact. And... What are sort of Amber Homes doing with regards to that side of things? Are you, are you looking to become more eco-friendly, sustainable as a business? And is that something you've got sort of specific plans for in the long term? 
Yeah, I mean, we definitely have aspirations in that area, and it's one of the areas that we need to focus on a bit more over the next couple of years. Um, I think as a developer, building sustainable communities is you know, massively important to this country. Now, sustainability is an interesting word because a lot of people immediately think that means you're putting PVs on every house and da-da-da-da-da, but it's more than that. You know, it's building the right communities, building you know, the right developments that are places that people, A, want to live and people can live and will live for a long period of time. So it even goes back to what we we're talking about, you know, in terms of flexible living space. Um, but you know, look on, on the on the basics. You know, clearly a new built home, if built correctly, is 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 you know, it's, it's far more energy efficient than than existing housing stock. Um, and then you know, we're obviously focused on doing whatever else we can do um, to make you know the the. You know, eco changes. I mean, on most of our developments now, we've got um, you know, um, electric car charging points. You know, we've got one at our office. Uh, we've got one crazy person that drives that drives an electric <laughs> car to work every day. Um, me um, say, and, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, so we, we we definitely welcome any ability to uh, embrace change on that front. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I, I think my next door neighbour's also got. A, a charging point and a, and a sort of an electric car and I do think to myself what is, what, what's it like how different is it to, to driving a normal your typical petrol car um, and in terms of, kind of your aspirations as a business um, obviously COVID has knocked a few people back and as you said there's some delays in terms of I suppose the projects uh, what you've done what are your sort of goals and priorities going into next year because I think a lot of people now are sort of thinking right let's look at next year now let's look at 2021 and hope to, to God it's better than uh yeah, I mean, COVID hasn't really changed our, our aspirations. So we came into COVID with a fairly, you know, as I alluded to earlier, a fairly ambitious growth plan. Um, and we did not see COVID as something that should change that. Um, we, in fact, as I again said earlier, we saw COVID as actually creating a few more opportunities by perhaps having a few people being less aggressive on the land side, giving us more opportunity. So, so you know, our aspirations over the next couple of years are to deliver on our growth plan, growth plan uh, both in terms of numbers, um, but also in terms of you know continually improving our business. So uh, we see no change really. Now, obviously, it depends on you know what happens over over the next um, in the next six months. But for now, we still see you know the UK housing market, particularly in the areas we are in, as being a, a, a very strong place to be and offering you know good opportunity you know people and COVID has not changed people's need to find somewhere to live it's not changed people getting married having babies da 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 so you know we still want to be you know go to company that provides you know a, a beautiful environment to, to people to take those next steps in their lives absolutely I think yeah as you said it's uh, the fundamentals are still the same uh, going into it and uh, it's good to hear that, that there's still those growth plans and you're still looking to sort of plow ahead with the projects that you've got in the pipeline um, and that that's not necessarily been hindered too much by, by what's going on with uh, with COVID um, and on this podcast a lot of the people listening are usually uh, candidates uh, and people looking for jobs and 
particularly in, in the market we find ourselves in at the moment um, with sort of a lot of people sort of seeking and finding jobs, what, what would your advice be from your own business perspective about how to stand out from the crowd? What, what do you look for when you mentioned you're in a transition phase within the business and you're looking to, to get the right people on board in the right positions? What are the sort of things that make a candidate a good fit for, for Antler and, and your business? I mean, what, what we look for, um, energy and passion, you know, we want people to say, you know, I'm excited about coming to work, no matter what they do. You know, in, in our business, there's a lot of people actually that are, are massively passionate about design. And, and so they find Antler to be a good place to be. So, so I want people with energy, people with passion, commitment, um, also flexibility. You know, I, I don't want someone who says, I'm a QS, that's what I do. You know, by way of example, not not to pick on QS, um, but I want people that say, you know what, I'm I'm interested in the in the whole business. I'm interested in every as- every element of what we do, and if I can get involved on the design side, if I can get involved on the sales side, I'm I'm willing to throw my hand to it. So we've got you know a, a few young guys in our business, and I, I want to see them get them in particular get as involved in as many aspects of our business as we can. So I think flexibility is a really important thing. Um, and I think it's been really interesting during COVID because it's required everyone to be flexible, you know, um, and, and I think the people that are willing to say, okay, I don't care what COVID throws at me, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to absolutely do the best I can do and, and you know, exceed everyone's expectations despite the market. That's the type of people that are interesting to us. I also think personality is a huge part about it. You know, we work far too much to not enjoy it. So, you know, we, we think of our business, you know, as, as a family and we all get on well and have a great time, but it's personalities that make that interesting and make that fun. Um, and I think someone that comes into a business and and, 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 and is not afraid to share their personality and, and, and really give a little bit of themselves, I think is important. So I think for the potential candidates, you know, it's, it's just showing that, that personality, that, that passion and, and desire and, 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 and interest, you know, that you really are interested in, in, in the field that you're in and, and what we do. Absolutely, I think versatility yeah. more than anything. Yeah. A better word than I use. Oh, well, Much uh, better than flexibility, but that's, that's where I was going. Yeah, yeah. well, it's yeah. first people being versatile in this kind of environment yeah. and happy to dig in, help each other yeah. out, yeah. and that sort of collaborative team environment is and, huge. And that's actually another point. Sorry to interrupt you because it's such an important point. You know, I I hate the term silos. You know, and again, because we're small, it's very easy for everyone to work across what they do. And they're, 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 while we have teams, they're small teams and everyone just works together and mucks in. As I always say, if it goes wrong, we've all got to figure it out. If it goes right, we all celebrate it. Um, and, and that's why collaboration is, is massively important. So sorry to cut no, in on you, but absolutely. I did want to pick up on that because that's that's you know, a really big point. No, 100%. Um, it's, it's something we hear, we hear so often is the biggest challenge is finding the right personalities who yeah. work cohesively as a yeah. unit. And, yeah. and, and as you said, wear the kind of pain and, the, and celebrate yeah. the, the wins of, of everybody else and uh, not just in it for themselves. So yeah. no, that's, that's really interesting. And I think it's been really useful to hear your insight, especially from somebody who 
the regions has been such a sort of growth market and, and we, we anticipate probably will be going forward that it's been interesting to hear your views on, on, on what you expect to happen for the market and uh, hopefully after this lockdown we see some sense of normality going into Christmas and uh, and the new year and hopefully 2021 brings uh, brings the best out of people um, fingers crossed but um, one thing we do with, with every podcast that um, just to finish off is sort of quick fire questions they're all they're just a little bit of fun and, and, and used to sort of wrap up the interview so without sort of thinking sort of too much about it I've got a few random questions to ask you and uh, yeah be, be as honest as you can with it favourite holiday destination uh, Micronesia lovely um, if you at the moment particularly uh, topical best staycation destination Um, I guess during lockdown, we did a lot of walking down in Seven Sisters near Eastbourne, and I thought that was terrific. Yeah, I suppose you've got the advantage of a lot of your developments are in such amazing staycation type of areas (laughs) where you can relax. It's always helpful. Um, Favourite sport? What do you enjoy to watch? Cricket. Cricket. You watching the IPL at the moment? No, I wish I I Uh, had time. I love uh, watching the IPL. There you go. Maybe over the the weekend. Um, Tea or coffee? Neither. Neither. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I've got to ask more about that. No, I just drink. Just, I just drink water all the time, and when I'm feeling really racy, I have a full fat coke. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and you spend a lot of time in in the US as well as the UK. Thanksgiving or Christmas? Um, oh, Ten years ago, I would have said Christmas, but I've become a Thanksgiving convert because okay. it's it's all the food, all the fun, without the stress, and. Uh, uh, yeah, they're both lo- they're both wonderful family times, but unfortunately, we always have all these horror stories at Christmas because it's all about you know people can't make ends meet, and that doesn't really happen at Thanksgiving. Yeah, um, particularly topical at the moment, but when COVID allows, where's the one place in the world you'd love to visit which you haven't yet? Which I haven't yet. Oh gosh, uh, Maldives. I, I almost did. I was booked, oh. and then then the volcano hit. Oh well, yeah, that was probably that was probably a bad sign. <laughs> uh, not, not, not to travel, travel there. Um, and, and something we ask everybody who comes here, especially given the relevancy of the real estate market, if you could own any building in the world, what would it be, and what would you do with it? Oh God, well that would be the Flatiron Building in, uh, in New York City. Uh, and what I would do with it—that's a good question. I guess I. I'd turn it into some sort of hotel so that everybody could enjoy it, you know, with the right the right sort of restaurant and pubs and all that good stuff. Yeah, um, I think that it's uh, an amazing building it is, and uh, I think everybody says like the Empire State Building, uh, which is the go-to, which is a great building. A lovely building. Would make a nice hotel. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Slightly different, um, but no. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us, and and uh, well, thank you for coming in, and hopefully the uh, the next lockdown treats you well and I uh, hope the business continues to grow and go from strength to strength but thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and meet with us and thank you for your time Joseph brilliant cheers Andrew cheers you can join the DS movement by visiting ds.devilsmith.com and you will receive the latest Devcast episode direct to your inbox